Morning. So this is our, our 18th Tanakh and And the title is The Unique Splendor of the First Base of Mikdash. <clears throat> what we're going to actually talk about is a contrast between the Mishkan and the First Base of Mikdash. So the past couple of parashiyas, Truma, Tetzava, and then it's going to be Vayakal and Pikude, all discuss exactly how the first Mishkan, the Mishkan looked how it was designed, down to the, the smallest details. And most of the Haftaris of those parashas are from Malachim Aleph, Prakim, Vav, Zayin, and Ches, which talk about how Shlom Hamel built the first base of Mekdash, which is also spelled out in great detail. Those Prakim in Malachim tend to be difficult to learn because they are describing a physical item that you don't actually see. So it's describing it in words. And it's just hard to follow a lot of times exactly what it looked like and what it, what, what it was, what, how, how it appeared. <clears throat> but what we're going to do today is I'm just going to focus on some of the differences that there were between the Mishkan and between the first space Amikdash, notably in, not in the actual physical building, even though there was obviously many differences there, but in the Kalim, in the vessels, the Aran, the Shulchan, and the Menaira, and it's fascinating th- that there are differences, and it's fascinating why there were differences. So that's what we're going to mostly talk about today. <clears throat> Just to give you a little idea of the history, the Mishkan was built in the Midbar and served in the Midbar for about 40 years, a little less than 40 years. <clears throat> the Mishkan was built by, through um, Nadava, meaning to say there was no tax, they didn't tax Kali Yisrael to provide the gold and the silver for the Mishkan, everybody gave it willingly, other than the silver for the, the base Adanim, that held up the Krashim, but other than that, it was all, all the other materials were given willingly. That Mishkan was in service for, till um, <clears throat> a little bit after they entered Eretz Yisrael, it was there in, in a place called Gilgal, which was the first place that they reached when they came into Eretz Yisrael, that was learning Nachyaymi. <laughs> we're familiar <laughs> and um, uh, <clears throat> and uh, then they deconstructed the Mishkan and it was mostly hidden meaning to say the Krushen which was the beams that made up the walls were hidden put, put away into storage till uh, spoke about it a couple of weeks ago about uh, maybe to Mashiach's time it's not clear when it will be used again and they built a more permanent structure in a place called Shiloh, which was in Benjamin's, um, Benjamin's portion of Eretz Yisrael. And it, had a st- it was a stone structure, but it didn't have a roof. The roof, they still used the same um, materials that they used to roof the Mishkan. They used that in Shiloh as well. The vessels, however, were the same vessels. So the same vessels, which means the Arun, right, that had the, <clears throat> the Luchas inside it and had the Kruvim on top of it. That was the same Aaron that Moshe Rabbeinu made. The Menorah was the same Menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu made. And the Shulchan that held the Lacham HaPanim was the same Shulchan that Moshe Rabbeinu made. And that was used in Mishkan Shil. Mishkan Shil lasted 367 years, I believe. Then it was destroyed by the Plishtim. Once it was destroyed, so they went back to more of a temporary kind of a Mishkan. Not clear if they brought back the Krushim to use them for that, per, that time or not. Not clear what they did. But it was in a place called Naiv, and then it was in a place called Givain, until finally in Shalma Malik's times, he built the first base of Mikdash, and then the Mishkan was put further out of use. But they still kept the Kalim. The Aaron that Moshe Rabbeinu devised was still used. The Menaira that Moshe Rabbeinu built was still used. And the Shulchan that Moshe Rabbeinu built was still used. So those three vessels were employed in the first base of Mikdash as well. Now here's where it gets interesting. 
Take a look at the psukim and we'll see how the, what the differences are. So the first, <coughs> the first pasuk is our, the pasuk that we have by uh, the Mishkan. You should make two kruvim. Right? So kruvim were, um, I guess, what we would call angels, child, children, cherubs. <coughs> they, uh, they looked like children. They had children's faces. And they had wings uh, coming out of their shoulders. So Sisishnaim Kruvim, Zahav, they're made out of gold. Mikshatasaisam, they were all hammered out from one block of gold. So they weren't devised separately and then attached. It was the one block of gold was formed into the kapiris, into the roof of the the the, the cover of the RN and also the, the Kruvim that came out of it. Mikshnaik, Saisa Kapiris, and Shivan, two ends of the Kapiris of the cover of the RN. But also Kruvacha Mikatsamizah, you should make one of these Kruvim on one end, Kruvacha Mikatsamizah, and another Kruv on the other end. Mina Kapiris, Tasos, a Kruvim, and it should come out of the Kapiris, out of the lid. Ashnaik, Saisa, on the two ends. And these kruvim, they spread out their wings high up. And they made like a schach, they made a cover on the lid with their wings. And they faced one another. So the kruvim that were on the lid of the Arna Kodesh that Moshe Rabbeinu built, those two kruvim faced each other. They faced each other. And they were, their faces were angled down towards the kapiris. So that was the Aaron and that was the Kruvim that Moshe Rabbeinu made. That was the ones that was then used and brought into the Besam Mikdash as well. So now let's go to the Pasik in Malachim, where it talks about what Shlema Melch did. And Shlema Melch made in the Dvir, which was the Kedesh HaKadoshim, he made two Kruvim. He made it out of wood, right? So this is something different than the kruvim that already existed on the arm that Moshe had, which was used as well. He made another two kruvim. He made them out of wood. They were huge. They were 10 amas tall, which might be as much as 20 feet or 15 feet. So they were huge statues. And they had two wings, and each wing was five amas. So each wing was about 10 feet long. So Khamish Amis Knafa Kruva Achas, one wing was five Amis long, Muhammad Amis Knafa Kruva Shainis, and the other one also had a five Amma long wing. Esser Amis Miksais Knafa Vaksais Knafav, and the wingspan, the total wingspan was ten Amis from one end to another end. The Mara speaks about if why the wing itself was five and five, so what was the body? Where did, why didn't the body take up any space? And there's a whole discussion about that, whether it was an ace, it didn't take up space, or or another another explanation. In any case, the wingspan was ten amas to ten, ten amas long. The eser ba'ama hakruv hasheni mida achas, and it was the same thing by the second kruv was also ten amas. V'ketzev echad l'shnei hakruv, and they both had the same measurement. Koymas hakruv echad eser ba'ama v'chen hakruv hasheni. It's a little bit re- repetitive. The height was ten amas, as was the second. Va'itenes hakruvim b'teicha ba'is apnimi, and he put these kruvim within the kodesh hakadoshim, the inner house. Va'yifrusu has kanfei hakruvim, and they, the kruvim's uh, wings were spread out. So the way it worked was the whole uh, width of the Kodesh HaKadoshim was 20 amas. And each one of these wingspans was 10 amas. So they took up the whole space of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So one wing touched the wall. And the, the Kruv its wing touched the other wall. And within the, the two wings touched each other. And they were covered with gold. So they weren't made out of gold, they were covered with gold. And then the inner uh, wall of the Kaidish Gadashan was covered with gold and it was also carved different forms. And of them were 
Kruvim. There was uh, images of Kruvim on the wall. We see Myrice and images of palm trees. Epiturit Tzitzim and other kinds of um, designs. Milafnim Velachitzim inside and out. So he had an extra two Kruvim, which were ten amas tall, huge statues standing inside the Kaidish Um basically covering the Arun, which was in the center. Now, there's a Pasuk in Divrahe Yamim where the, ter- where the Tanakh repeats itself. And there it says, the next, the next piece here, The wings of these kruvim were a spread of 20 together. And they stood on their feet, because they weren't attached to the aron or anything like that. They stood on their feet. But their face, they faced the bias, which means they faced the, in the, they were in the Kedosh HaKadoshim, and they faced the rest of the Besamekdash, which means they didn't look at each other. As the other kruvim on the roof of the aron, looked at each other, the Pnei Mishal Achiv, these Kruvim faced Labayis, they faced the rest of the Beis HaMikdash, they faced the Hechel, they faced Mizrach, they faced towards East. So the Gemara has a problem with this, which way they faced. And the Gemara says, it's a Gemara in Baba Basra, it's the next thing here, Rabbi Yechidim Rabbi Lazar, Chadam Mishal Achiv, one says, well, they faced each other. Chadam Rabbi the other one says, but there's another Pasuk that says they faced the, the, inner, the rest of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara says, according to the one who says that they faced each other, the Pasi says they faced the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara says, it's not a question. So the, <clears throat> this is very famous, it's well known, right? So it depended on what was the relationship between Kalal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because the Kruvim, um, the Kruvim represented, one represented Hashem, and one represented Kla Yisrael. So if they faced each other, that means they were, uh, so to speak, in love with each other. They were, the relationship was good, the relationship was healthy, so then they looked at each other. But if the relationship wasn't okay, then they didn't look at each other, and they, looked, they both faced the, the Beis HaMikdash. <coughs> According to the other opinion that he stresses the Pasig that says that they faced the Beis HaMikdash, they didn't face each other, but it does say that they faced each other. So he answers, the Dudi. they were at an angle. And this is an interesting shot. He says that the two Kruvim, they weren't exactly facing away from each other and facing the Beis HaMikdash, nor were they directly facing each other. They were like this. They were at an angle. They were slightly facing each other, slightly facing the Beis HaMikdash. We'll see soon what the significance of that is. The Tanya Unklus Ager Amar, Unklus, the famous Unklus, said, They were like uh, younger children. And their faces were at an angle, like a Talmud who leaves his Rebbe. When a Talmud leaves his Rebbe, it's like when Talmud leaves his Rebbe, he doesn't want to turn around and face his back to the Rebbe, but he also wants to be able to see where he's going. So he goes kind of on a slight angle and he walks away. So he's looking at his Rebbe, he's also looking where he's going. So that's the way they, they faced slightly each other and slightly the way What do you want to ask? Sorry, I'm yeah. a little confused for one second. You started off saying that there's two different sets of crewmen. Right. One says that they're facing each other, one says they're facing So what's the kasha to begin with, you mean? <laughs> right. Excellent. Very good. I, like, well, <laughs> I was hoping someone would ask that. Right, right. So it's a great question. The the Mefarshim asked this answer question. Answering for both of them, or is the answer answering for for, for separately? Like, are we giving, oh, so, are we right. giving an answer on so, very good, very good. So the the answer to your question is like this. The Mefarshim talk about this. They ask this question. They say that the Kruvim that Moshe Rabbeinu made that were attached to Aaron, those didn't move anywhere. Okay. Those always faced each other. 
Those were solid. Those were, those were fixed. They couldn't be moved out of place. So, so the so it's the, were always taught as kids that those crew Correct. Were the ones That's incorrect. Were not, were not right. Changing. Incorrect. Those never moved. It was the Kruvim. Oh, you don't have to complicate things with extra Kruvim and stuff like that. It gets <laughs> It gets better. But anyway, the 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 crew. Is, so the, the so the question is. So then, why did they, why did they even have a problem? So they they the, that the Mefarshim say, since sorry, you know, sorry, not to upset the whole. You know. <laughs> but the the Mefarshim say that being that the crew that Moshe Rabbeinu said there was a stress that should face each other. So therefore, the understanding was that there's no way that Shlema, when he made his extra crew could have ignored that. So that's the assumption is that they have they have to be accommodated. The, the concept of Pnei Mishalachov, because Meshav, we'll see as, as we go along, Shlomo Malach, even when he duplicated and he added, and he added to the Meneris, and he added to the Shulchanis, he wasn't uh, changing anything, he was just duplicating and adding more for certain reasons. So the understanding was he would have to have kept in keeping to what Meshav Benu did. Meshav Benu made them facing each other, how could he not do that? And that's why they give these answers, either that he accommodated it slightly by them facing at an angle, or it depended. Sometimes they faced each other, and sometimes they faced away, which was, you know, an ace. But then before these were made, when it was just, I mean, what, there was a time when it was just the gold Aron and, and the gold Kruvim, so right. then they didn't, then they, those, those, those Kruvim did not, like, turn away from each other? Ever. Correct. Hmm. <laughs> like I said, it'll get no, better. Wait, hold on, we'll see, we'll see more. I'll <laughs> so, uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying these, everyone's saying that these Kruvim, that were really made of wood and carbon gold, sometimes faced each other, sometimes faced away, and sometimes faced slanted? No, those are two different opinions. One opinion uh-huh. is that they sometimes always faced slanted. Uh-huh. That, was their, that was their fixed position, was right. slanted. Mm-hmm. And then the other opinion is that they, uh-huh. they, they, they went back and forth. And that's how we were able to, that's how we were able to understand both contradictory statements. Right. Okay. okay. The ones standing were not attached to anything. Not to each other and not to the floor. The ones that Moshe Rabbeinu made were fixed on the Aaron. They could be moved, right? Not that anybody ever went into the Kaddish Kadasha. Actually, you know, hold on. We'll see more about this as we go along. It'll get more interesting. <laughs> now, so let, let's let's continue. You'll see you'll see more about you'll see more as we go along. Now, is anybody familiar with uh, this? It's a Medrash. It's a Gemara that when the Besamekdash was destroyed, they took the Kruvim out of the, the Kaddish Kedashim and they were hugging each other. Yeah. Familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Familiar? Which Kruvim were those? Mm-hmm. Right? Now you have to ask yourself. So you always figured it was the Kruvim on the Aran. Yeah. But we'll see. The Aran was not around anymore at that point. The Aran had been hidden. So which Kruvim were? It was these Kruvim. It was these crew. So we'll see that in a minute. But let's, let's see actually the next Gemara, which is more fascinating. Um, and then we'll get a little bit more of understanding what the difference between the Kruvim of Shleim HaMalch and the Kruvim of Maisha. So here's a Gemara. The Gemara is like this. It's a Gemara Mestatis Yuma. Amar Av Katina. Katina said, When Kla Yisrael used to come for Alil Regal, Megalin Lehemes HaPoreiches, they would uh, roll up the Poreiches of the Kedush HaKadashim, Maran Lahamas Akruvim, and they showed everybody the Kruvim. Shahayam Urim Zebizeh, they were hugging each other. Vairam Lahan, Ru'u, Chibaschem of Nehamakim, look at your, how much you are beloved in front of Hashem, Kechibazachar Nekeva, like the love of a, a husband and a wife. So on once or three times a year, when Kaisro came up to the base of Mikdash, they would roll up the Paraychas and they would be able to see the Kruvim, and the Kruvim would be hugging each other, and that would be a demonstration of the love 
Hashem had for Klai Yisrael. Now, did the Kruvim ever hug each other? No. They weren't even close to each other. Right? They were, the tip of the wing was touching, no matter which Kruvim we're talking about. The Kruvim of Shlem HaMelech was very, quite far apart. They were ten amas distant from each other and only tips of the wing touching. And Meshur Benaz as well. They were also fixed in the in the Aaron, and they were the just tips of the wings were touching. So, what does it mean they were hugging each other? How did they hug each other? So the Ridva asked this question, and he says it was a miracle. They went out of their place and they hugged each other. They did something that they never did. Not that they faced each other; they hugged each other. And and here's an extra piece. Now, I'm not sure about this. This is just a conjecture. If you know a little bit of how the Beis was laid out. If they just rolled up the Pereiches, nobody could see inside the Kachikadashim. There was no angle that you could see anywhere into, into the Kachikadashim because a, no, nobody, not a Kayin or a Yisrael, was allowed to walk into the Heichal. So the Kachikadashim was the inner sanctum, right? And then there was a Heichal, which was a building. And then in front, the Heichal had doors. And then there was an Ulam, which is another building in front of the Heichal. Okay, so that was one big building Ulam, Heichal, Kachikadashim. And then in front of that was the Azara, which was open to the air. And that's where you did like all the Shechita, you shechted all the Karbanas, and it had a big Mizbech in the middle of the Mizbech, which was called the Mizbech in the Cheshes, but in the Beis HaMikdash was made out of stone. It was this huge, huge, huge Mizbech. You were not allowed, a Jew was not allowed to go into, nobody was allowed to go into the Heichal. That was Chayv Misa, unless you had a reason to go. You were allowed to go. Not only that, but you weren't allowed to walk past the Mizbech. As you couldn't go past them there. The space in between the Mizbech and the Hechel was also a higher level of Kedusha, and you could only go there if you had to be there to shach the carbon or for whatever reason, and there was very few reasons why you would ever have to be there. So anybody who was looking, trying to spectate and see this site, it has to stand behind, behind the Mizbech. If you stand behind the Mizbech, then the door is blocked. There's no view, no angle of vision that you can possibly see in to the Kedusha So my speculation is, that, that it means they rolled up the Brechas and they brought the Kruvim out. Mm-hmm. They brought the Kruvim out, right? Now, these were two separate large Kruvim. They were, they were brought out, and in front of everybody's eyes, they hugged each other. Mm-hmm. That's my speculation. <laughs> but that, that what, what must have happened over here. I, don't, I didn't find that anywhere. But either way, either it happened, somehow they saw, so, so I have to answer that question somehow, somehow they were able to see, either they brought it out or they were able to see some other way. And... And they, the, the two Kruvim hugged, them, hugged each other in full view of Klai Yisrael, which was an open miracle, because that wasn't the way they were designed. But that would have been okay to bring them out. I'm sorry? That would have been okay to, to see them. This whole thing is, I mean, you're not allowed to open up the Kaiser Kedash and look inside either. Apparently there was a, they had a Messiah like this, that they could do it for this purpose, just to demonstrate, you know, Kaddish Baruch Hu's love to Klai Yisrael. <clears throat> they also explained that it was specifically during Aliyah Laregel because Klai Yisrael demonstrated such a love to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because to come to the Beis HaMikdash on Yantiv, I don't know if you ever think about the reality of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very difficult thing, right? <laughs> it means you made Pesach and you had to travel <laughs> with all your food, with everything, and live in a tent. I don't know if you ever like living in a tent. Have you ever camped out? <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> it's fun for your kids, you know? Not fun for anybody else. So... It's, it's uh, you know, there was, there was places in Yerushalayim that they were able to put up, but they couldn't put up everybody. So a lot of people just camped out, you know, and you're open to the weather, whatever it was. Hot, cold, you know, Shavuos, Pesach, Sukkot, it's different weather. So it was not easy. So it was a tremendous amount of mysterious and average. Plus, you have to leave your, your everything behind, which also, the, it's a special guarantee that you'll be protected. But, you know, that it, 
in anybody's rational mind, is, and everybody knows that everybody is gone. So it's like prime time for any burglars or anybody that wants to ransack, like you ransack a whole community, and no one's there. So it was, it was a tremendous Messias Nefesh, and it was a tremendous act of betachen and faith and love. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so it was at this time specifically when they did this that Hashem demonstrated that, that that's reflected back, and that this crew miraculously hugged each other in view of Klai Yisrael. <coughs> now, just to, yeah. Well, you couldn't travel on it. So you had to come uh, on Pesach. You had to come. You had to be there already before the day of the fourteenth. So you had to be there. You had to come on day thirteen. Uh, then on day fourteen, you shafted your carbon Pesach. Right. Then you had to eat it in Yerushalayim. So that was day fourteen. Excuse me, and then uh, you brought a, a regal, and you couldn't go home until the, the night. But you weren't allowed to go home at night either, because you had to go into the Besamekesh one more time and bow before you left. So you left. If you were able to leave, it would be the morning of the 16th. Uh-huh. So you were there at least three days. Mm-hmm. And then there was travel time. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was an undertaking. <laughs> uh, so you had to be there from the beginning? So you had to be there for Shemini too. Because uh-huh. Shemini has his own obligation of Avalil uh, regal. So you were there for eight days. Full eight days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so now let's just go, well, for, I, mean, I just want to go through the whole, everything we have here about the Kruvim, and then I'll speak a little bit more about what they signify, what the difference is. Um, so now, this is a Gemara Mesechtis Yuma. The Gemara says, Mahalaf B'neim, is a Mishnah, the, the Kayin Gadol would walk in between the two um, Parechases, Atem Begil until he came to the north side, Hegil Atzafen, Efe Poel Hadarim, he would you know, this is on Yom Kippur, when he would be bringing in the Keteris into the Kedesh HaKadashim, he faced Darim, Mahalaf Hasmailim, and Parechas, he walked with the Parechas, Atem Begil Aron, until he came to the Aron HaKadash. Hegil Aron, once he reached the Aron, Noisinus HaMachtav, Eshnei Abadim, he would put this, the pan with the the, the coals that he was going to put the katiris, he would put it in between the two sticks that were used to support the arm. That's the Mishnah. So Gemara says, but my asking, what are we talking about over here? Elam b'mikdash rishon. If we're talking about in the first place of mikdash, me have a parechas. There was no parechas. Ella there was a wall with a door. It happened to be there was a parechas too, which is the Gemara is going to say later. It must be the second base of mikdash. Me have aron. There was no aron in the second base of mikdash. Hatanya, the Brisa says. Mission Nignaz Aron, when the Aron was hidden, Nignaz the Imaitzinsanis Man, they had a little capsule of Man that had been saved to show Klal Yashal the, the miracle of the Man. They had a bottle of the Shem and Hamishka, which was used to anoint all the Kalim, Umakleshal Aron, and they also had the stick of Aron that had uh, blossomed, Shigedeo Procheha, and the fruit and the, the blossoms were still on it. The Argus Shashigru Plishtim during the Kayisral, and they also had this box that was sent as a gift from the Plishtim to Kadesh Baruch, different things that were heard, that represented different miracles. And all those were hidden. The, the Aron and, and all these things were hidden. Miganzai, who is it that hid it? Yeshiao Ganzai. Yeshiao Hamelech was Gainazit, so Yeshiao died. Um, I don't have the exact cheshma, but it was something like 50 years before the Charbon Beis HaMikdash, or maybe a little less, 30 years, but that's when he died. But he, he himself hid all these things, so way before the Charbon Beis HaMikdash. And my Rosh Hashanah, why, why did he hide the Aaron? Rosh Hashanah, because he saw the Pasuk says, Hashem will take you and your king that you will appoint upon yourself into Golos. So he knew that the Golos was impending. It had already been prophesied at that point that the, that the base of Mikdash was going to be destroyed. So Ahmed Vaganza, he went and he hid it 
the Aaron. He told to the Levim, who are teaching all of Klai Yisrael, who are still holy to Hashem, take the Aaron and put it into the house that Shlema, the son of David, Melch Yisrael built. You're not going to carry it anymore. Do this service to HaKadosh Baruch and Klai Yisrael. So, that's the most problem, but the more takes care of the problem. But in any case, that was what happened. The Aran HaKadosh was hidden, and it was hidden by Yeshiyahu Hamela. And it wasn't around at the point when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. However, the Kruvim that Shlaim Hamela built, those did remain, and those might have been the ones that were brought out and, and displayed in front, of, uh, in front of everybody. Okay, so this is, this is what we know about these, uh, the two Caleb. There was the Aaron with the Kruvim that Moshe Rabbeinu made, and the Beis HaMikdash only went into service. That's also Psukim in the Haftarah, I didn't bring it down here. It only went into service once they brought that Aaron into the Beis HaMikdash. So they built the whole Beis HaMikdash with the Kruvim, with everything, and then they brought the Aaron into the Beis HaMikdash, and that's when it went into service. That's when the Shechina rested upon it. And, um, and then he built himself these, these, two, these two extra Kruvim, which were much taller, much bigger, and mm-hmm. acted differently than the Kruvim on the on the kapara. So the question is why he did it and what did it signify that there were two sets of kruvim? What was the meaning of it? So <clears throat> Sefer Ber Yosef, he was um, a Magid. He lived about uh, 150 years ago in this beautiful Pshatim in, in the Tyra. So in Parshas Truma, he talks about this Barichos. Uh, first he brings from Ruchaim Velazhner, who was his Rebbe or his Rebbe's Rebbe. Um, so Ruchaim Velazhner explains this concept that the Kruvim were, one was represented a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and one represented, um, one represented Klal Yisrael, and depending on their closeness to Hashem and their, their connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that's whether they faced each other or faced away. <clears throat> so now he, he explains a fascinating concept. He says that in the Midbar, Klal Yisrael had absolutely no responsibility or reason to do anything other than Avedis Hashem. Their food was provided for, they had man. Their clothing was provided for, it, it grew with them and it got pressed and cleaned by the Nanah Kavit. They had absolutely nothing else that they did to devote their time to. The only thing they did was they did Avedis Hashem. They learned all day and they served Hashem all day. That's all they did. So the, the, the connection between Kala Yisrael and between Kaddish Baruch Hu was a constant connection of Pnei and Shalachav, because they never turned away to do anything else. So the Kruvim that were created by Moshe Rabbeinu, which represented the relationship of Klai Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Midbar, were fixed. There was no room for movement. There was no need for any movement. And they were constantly face-to-face, because that was the way Klai Yisrael related to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Midbar. We never got distracted. We never did anything else. There was nothing else on our minds and nothing else for us to do. Whereas... He explains when we came to uh, the Beis HaMikdash and Klai Yisrael settled there to Yisrael, at that point people started to provide for themselves. They had to plow and they had to uh, work on their fields and they, they had to make a parnasa. And once you had to make a parnasa, so then you can't do, be fully focused and uh, immersed in Tyra and, and serving a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You have to take some time for yourself. But at the same time that you take time for yourself, your mind should constantly be yearning or, moved or, 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 or involved in when will I get to learn or how will I serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu or everything I'm doing is for the sake of service of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So there is a, 
a duality to the way we serve Hashem, which is we're doing things that are physical, we're doing things that are not learning Torah, we're doing things that are outside the purview of, of mitzvah, it's rishus, but we do it having in mind that we're trying to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu, we're trying to create a possibility to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu and give ourselves time to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu. So that, he explains, is the mitzvah at duty. That's when they're facing at an angle, which means in the, the, the level of connection that was represented by the Kruvim that Shlema made was better represented how Klal Yisrael was serving a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the time of Mikdash Rishon. They were partially facing Hashem and partially facing away. Part of their time was dedicated to serving Hashem. Part of their time was dedicated to, to, to serving their own, their own needs. And he goes on and he says like this, and this is fascinating. <clears throat> he says... Two other points, which I think is fascinating. One is that the face of a Kruv was a child. And he says the, the, the significance of that is, uh, I spoke a little bit about this this week also, that the significance of that is that our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is we should perceive ourselves as a child, which means that we can't really take care of ourselves. We can't really rely on ourselves. We have to rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Kruvim, the reason why they were created as children was to impart that message to us, that that has to be our constant view of how we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like children, and that we, we need to rely on Him. Uh, this past Shabbos, I was saying that the Hirsch says that's also the Tamid, the carbon Tamid that was brought every day was a Kevis Ben Shana. It was a young sheep, less than a year old, because for the same reason, it's demonstrating that Klai Yisrael on a constant level and on Tamid, every day to day, always viewed no matter how powerful they might be or how, how accomplished they might seem, they always viewed themselves, or always, we were supposed to view ourselves as Kevis Benshana, as a lamb that's less than a year old that totally can't care from, for itself and needs to rely totally on a shepherd or Kaddish Baruch Hu, to take care of them. So that's one point about what the Kruvim signified. Then he says another thing. He says, why is it that we had both? Why did we have the Kruvim that Shlem HaMalach made and the Kruvim of Maisha? Why did we have both? And what he says is, is because in Kali Yisrael you always have to have both. You have to have the, the majority of Kali Yisrael that's mitzvah duty, that's spending some time doing their own thing and some time serving a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and those were the larger Kruvim that represented the majority of Kali Yisrael. But at the same time, you have to have an element of Kali Yisrael that spends their whole time in service of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. There has to be the, 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 the inner sanctum of, of Kali Yisrael, the Tamid Chachamim, the, the, the Rabbeim, the Kahanim, that give all their time and dedicate all their life to only serving Kaddish Baruch Hu, and those are fixed. Pneim Ishalachov, those never move. And that is something that remains, that always has to remain, it always has to be there. And he doesn't say this, but I'm just taking it a step further, is that as a result, when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, so the bigger Kruvim were taken in captivity, but the little ones, the, the, the Aaron that Meshach made was hidden, because that relationship, that connection of the Tamid HaChachamim and the people who are totally focused on HaKadosh Baruch that never gets destroyed. And that wasn't dependent on the Beis HaMikdash. Now there was, there was a certain relationship that Klal Yisrael enjoyed with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that required the Beis HaMikdash, and that's why we mourn the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. It, it allowed us an ability to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a very special way. And that was the relationship that was that was demonstrated by the larger Kruvim, and that 
Once the base of was destroyed, that was removed. But the smaller proof in which is the relationship that anybody in Kleistral can do if it's within their ability, which is to dedicate their time fully to serving in Kaddish Baruch to dedicate their time to with nothing, doing nothing else other than full-time Avedis Hashem and Limit Atayra and Dveikus Hashem, that is forever, and that can't be touched. That can't be touched by an enemy. That can, that will never fall. That, that, that the Kalis will never lose that, and that is what kept Kalis Yisrael going in Gaulus as well. It was their Tamid Chachamim, it was their Tzadikim, it was the Marichai Hatzadik, it was the all the, the, all the Tzadikim and the Rebbeim and the, the Tamid Chachamim throughout the generations, because that connection to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashra'as Sashchina that survives in the base of Medrash, that never leaves. That was the significance of the the Aron that Shlem, that that Moshe made. So it's just a, a very fascinating understanding of the difference, the change that was in the Mishkan to the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas the, the Mishkan represented Kali Yisrael's relationship to HaKadosh Baruch in the Midbar, the Beis HaMikdash had to represent more. It had to represent the new reality of how Kali Yisrael related to HaKadosh Baruch in Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Now, there's another two differences, which is in the Shulchan and in the Menorah. But before I get to them, I just want to mention one, uh, one other interesting difference. Um, the Mishkan didn't have any windows. Mishkan didn't have any windows. And if you think, again, you think a little bit to the reality of it, seemingly it was pitch black because <laughs> it was a closed box. It was covered by the, the ureas on top, by the material on top. The front of the Mishkan was also co- uh, blocked by a uh, parechas, so there was no light source. The only light source that there was in the Mishkan was that the ureas on the roof of the Mishkan wasn't one solid piece. It was two pieces, and they were attached with krasim, they're hooked together. So through that, there was little holes, and I found a medrash that says that it, it made light like stars twinkling. So it was a, that was the only light that there was in the Mishkan, no other light source. In the Beis HaMikdash, there were windows. The Beis HaMikdash had windows, but they didn't have regular windows. They were called Shkufim Atumim. The windows of the Beis HaMikdash were designed that, apparently, typically, when you would build windows in those days, you would design them that the part that was the outside of the wall, which was closer to the you know, outdoors, was smaller, and it got wider as it got in, inside, so that the light that goes in would like spread and cast more light on a better angle inside the building. Whereas in the base of Mikdash, it was designed the opposite. It was smaller on the inside and it spread out, it widened as it got to the outside to demonstrate that the base of Mikdash provides light for the outside. It doesn't require light for the inside. So both of them, in other words, the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan both had the same concept, that the base of Mikdash and the Mishkan itself doesn't require light. Why does it not require light? Because it's Irish alone. It's really what lights up the world. In the Mishkan, there was no effort made to demonstrate that. In the Beis HaMikdash, there was an effort made to demonstrate that by making those windows that opened up in a way that demonstrated that the light comes from the Beis HaMikdash and is therefore then spread throughout the world. And this is a key difference which we'll now see um, in the next, the next two kalim was that 
that was another big difference between the Mishkan and the Mikdash. The Mishkan Klai Yisrael were in the Midbar and they had a very insular relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that did not involve nations of the world, that did not involve anybody. They were in the Midbar, they were far away from civilization, they were far away with any kind of relationship with any other nation of the world. The little uh, dealings they had with the nations of the world were disastrous with Midjan. You know, the idea was that they should be totally totally separate and segregated in every way possible. They weren't even seeking to make an impression on the nations of the world. And therefore, there was no act, there was no effort, so to speak, in the Mishkan to create light outside. That's not what the, that was not the nature of how Kal Yisrael was, was, was living with the Kaddish Baruch at that point. On the contrary, the idea was to be totally black out everything and all the light is focused inside the Mishkan, provided by the Mishkan and and kept inside the Mishkan. Whereas in the Beis HaMikdash, that was not the case. The Beis HaMikdash was a beacon of light, not just for Klai Yisrael, it was a beacon of light for all the nations of the world. They brought Karbanas to signify, to provide for all the nations of the world. There were 70 Karbanas brought on uh, Sukkot for the sake of, of, of providing for the nations of the world. Shalim HaMalach and his Tefillah, which is um, part of the Haftarah of uh, Parshat Pekudek, he speaks about that nations of the world will come to the Beis HaMikdash and you should answer their prayers. So the Beis HaMikdash was not just for Klai Yisrael, it was there to make an effect on the whole world. And that's why it had these windows that were there to signify that the light emanates from the Beis HaMikdash and affects the rest of the world. Go ahead. Was there actually light? Was there another light source in the Beis HaMikdash? I don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. I always wonder about that. There's a a number of um, fundamental... uh, Matthias questions, you know, like just what exactly was it like? Uh, just think about how hot it was in the Mishkan. <laughs> I just think there's no light. Uh, things like that. I, I don't know. Well, yeah. That's not a lot of light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't, nothing happened in the Mishkan at night for the most part. So that was not, you didn't have to be there at night, you only had to be there during the day. The Mishkan was in the courtyard. So this is the actual building itself. There was, Nothing was burning. The fire that was always there was in the courtyard. It wasn't in the, the building itself. So there was very little, to, very little light to go by. Okay. Is yeah. Mishkan ever compared to our, our systems there? Like, I don't know. I never thought of it like a pregnancy where like, everything had to be like an incubation period where everything had to be ideal. And then, you know, because when we even think about missing what we have, we never think we're yearning for the Mishkan Everything here is like mm-hmm. the Mishkan just seems like such a bubble. Right. And then the Besamekdash seems like a reality that we can... Right. That's very interesting. The, the, it is compared, uh, the, not, not the Mishkan so much, but the uh, life of Klai Yisrael in the Midbar is compared to uh, like a pregnancy where everything is sterile and everything is, uh, was kept you know, very, very safe and separate from, from outside infection, so to speak. That, that comparison is made. Mm-hmm. Um, about what we're yearning for, Till now, I thought like you, we're running for the third base of Mikdash, which is described in Tanakh, what it's going to look like and all that. Um, until I saw just now that there's a, a medrash that says that the Mishkan is going to be put back into use when Mashiach comes. And it's a little bit hard to know exactly how that's going to work. Uh, what parts of the Mishkan are they going to employ? But it does seem like there is some concept like that, you know, that, it will, that we'll, we'll have some of that also. Okay. So now let's go to the to the next group of Caleb. So take a look at the very last the very last line here. So this is also Pasuk in Malachim. 
Vayas Shloime is Kalakalim Asher Beis Hashem. Shloime made all the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash. Es Mizbeach Hazav. He made them as the the golden Mizbeach. That was the one that was inside the Hechal that they brought the Kuteris on. Ve'es Hashulchan Asher Al Lachem Apanim. He made a Shulchan that they put the Lachem Apanim on. Zahav. Ve'es Hamenaris, and he made the Menaris. Chamesh Miyamin, the Chamesh Mismal. There were five on the right and five on the left. The Fnehadvir. Zahav Sagir. It was a very the most valuable. Uh, gold possible. And all the, the different items that they used to service the Menorah were all uh, gold as well. So in this Pasuk in Malachim, it says that there were 10 Menorahs. Okay? 10 Menorahs. Now it says 10 Menorahs on the right, 10 Menorahs on the left. I mean, sorry, 5 Menorahs on the right, 5 Menorahs on the left. Right and left of what? On the Menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu made. So there were 11 Menorahs in total. So there was 5 that he added 10, 5 on the right, 5 on the left. And Maishra Rabbeinu's Menorah served the middle. Now, the Pasuk in Malachim is strangely a little bit um, mekatzer, a little short about this, but if you turn the page, you see on Divra Hayamim, it says he actually did the same thing with the Shulchan as well. He made ten Shulchanas, and he put them in the Hechal, five on the right, five on the left. Again, the Shulchan that Moshe Rabbeinu made, that was there, and then they added another ten, five on the right, five on the left. So, puzzling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who needs all these menorahs? Who needs all these shulchanas? What was the point? Well, I mean, you had, you had Maishas, you had the, the menorah. You had to light one menorah, and you only had to put lechem upon them that fit onto one shulchan. So what was the, what was the, the reason for this, and what, what did they do? So there's a Gemara. Let's see the Gemara. And the Gemara is a Menachist. The Gemara says, Tanarabanan, Asara shulchanas asa shleim ha-malach. So shleim ha-malach built these ten shulchanas. Uh, then the Gemara describes where they were exactly. Al Shal Moshe Be'emtza, Moshe Rabbeinu's Shulchan was in the middle. Chamisha Mi'aminai, there was five on the right. Chamisha Mi'smaile, and there were five on the left. And then again, Tan Rabbanim Eser Menorahs Eser Shleimah. Shleimah Melech built ten Menorahs. Al Shal Moshe Be'emtza, Moshe Rabbeinu was in the middle. Chamisha Mi'aminai, Chamisha Mi'smaile, five Menorahs on the right, five Menorahs on the left. Tan Rabbanim Asar Shulchanos Eser Shleimah. Shleimah made these ten Shulchanos. But they didn't put the lechem upon him. Ela al shal Moshe. That was only put on Moshe. Shenem Reis Shulchan Ashaha Alav Lechem Hapanim Zahav. Eser Menorahs Eser Shleimah. Shleimah made these ten Menorahs. Vloyim Adlikin. But they only lift lit Shal Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu Shenemar Menorahs Hazav Menorahs Seha Levar Ba'aret. So you had ten Shulchanos doing nothing, and you had ten Menorahs doing nothing. So that's the first opinion. That's harder to understand. Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua says, Al kulam No, they would put the lechem upon him on all eleven. Shenemar asa shulchanos va'aleim lechem upon him. Uvukulam hayim adlikim, and they lit all the menorahs, all eleven. Shenemar es hamenorahs v'neiras sehal v'neiras sehem levarim k'mishpat l'fnei advir zahasar. So he learns that they lit all of them. Now there's even here a little difference of opinion. Did they light all of them simultaneously, or does that mean they just alternated? You lit them one menorah, so one day they lit Maishas, another day they lit one of the other ones. They put the lechem upon him on the shulchan of Maisha, another week they put it on the other one. Which was it all at once, or just did they alternate? But Shlaima Malach, for some reason, saw fit to add all these menorahs, and he saw fit to add all these shulchanas. And the question is, why? What was the necessity, and where did he understand, for what reason, would he do that? So there's a couple of fascinating pshatim in this. Now there's one that I don't have here. Um, there, there's a, he's a, a was was a rav in Eretz Yisrael. He was from Europe. He wrote a number of beautiful svarim. He also wrote some books uh, which you might have read. There was a book called The Twins. You know that book? It was like a Holocaust book. 
uh, an old, old book. So he wrote this book, was translated into English. His name was, um, I somewhere. His name was Ben Sian Fuhrer. Uh, he was a rabbi in a place called near Gallim in Eretz Yisrael. So he wrote a couple of books which were, were translated and he also did them. So he has interesting ideas. I just want to mention it because it's a Gishmaka Pshat. He says that really there should always have been um, 10 shulchanas, 11 shulchanas, and 11 menaris. But in the midbar, you have to, people have to carry it. So Moshe Rabbeinu was not going to do more than is absolutely necessary on someone else's cheshbon. <laughs> not going to build more menaris and more shulchanas and then force people to have to shlach them. So that was his, uh, his idea. So Shlomo wanted to base the and they built uh, the full amount possible. But in the, the Mishkan, they, did, they may do with, with one. But it's, not, you know, it's an interesting idea. I, I like the idea. I, I think it's bad because, you know, I think the class would have been very happy to carry, have the schuss of carrying the Menorah. It was a big schuss to be able to, to carry the Kalim of the Mishkan. Also, they, they probably would not have fit just by the dimensions of the Mishkan. There's not room for that many. But okay. Anyway, he says that. Now, the Meshach Chachma and Parshat Tzav has a fascinating shot. Take a look. He says like this. All the all the nevua, every single nevua that Hashem spoke to my Shabbat was only by day. Hashem only spoke to my Shabbat a day. He did not speak to him at night. Even so, this is the Ebenezer says, when the, the nearest of the menorah were lit and they were burning, that created a, a, a metzius of day. It was as if it was day, because the light was burning. And he was able to speak to, to Moshe Rabbeinu even by night. That's why the Pasuk says in the beginning of Parashas of Tetzava, Moshe Rabbeinu should take for himself. Why is it for himself? Is because through that Hashem will able to be able to speak to him by night. for your sake. a person has the clear mind when there's light. light is there represents happiness. and that's why it, that's chiddush number one. So first chiddush is, is even though the nevuah prophecy only takes place by day, if you were in the presence of the menorah and you had the light that was cast by the menorah, it was equivalent to day, and then that ruach hakodesh that prophecy. Could happen at night as well. Then he says like this. With this we can explain. Uh, he made, it's not a mistake, he made 10 menorahs. That they lit all of them. They would light all of them. And the Pashtas means they lit all of them. So all 11 were lit simultaneously. Not like Rashi says, that it was sometimes this one and sometimes that one. He brings a proof from a medrash that says that they did it on all of them. Okay, let's skip over here to where the three dots are. And it says like this: And it says by David his father, he created extra gold. He collected extra gold for the sake of making these menorahs. because he understood his fathers. Shekivan The mikdash's width was ten. and its length was thirty amas. And all they needed for that was one menorah. That's 10 times 30. That's 300 amas. So I didn't write the whole thing. Take a look in the bottom here. So the Mishkan was like this, right? The Mishkan was 10 amas wide, 30 amas long, and 10 amas tall. Okay? So that creates 3,000 
cubic amas, right? 3,000 cubic amas, 10 times 30 times 10. And for 3,000 cubic amas, one menorah was sufficient to light it up and create this atmosphere of day. The heichal was 60 amas by 20 amas by 30 amas, so that's 36,000 cubic amas. So to that, you required 11 menorahs, because 36,000 divided by 3,000 is 12. So he says, really, they needed 12 menorahs, not 11. But he said it had to be an even number, otherwise you'd have 6 on one side, 5 on one side. You couldn't do that. And then he has another explanation. So you needed 11 menorahs to create the same amount of light that you had created in the Mishkan. And the purpose was because once you had that level of light, then Ruach HaKadosh could uh, be even by night, and Nefuah and Prophecy could even be by night. Then he says, and that's why it was only in the first base of Mikdash that they had 11 menorahs. In the second base of Mikdash, they did not, because there was no prophecy in the second base of Mikdash, and there was no Nevuah, so therefore there was no, no, no need to have that level of light. It's a fascinating idea. What, what, what was the reason why Shlomo Malach created so many more menorahs? That's one chat. Then in the Medrash, it actually says a different shot. The Medrash is like this. Uh, the Medrash, I'm sorry, the Medrash doesn't address the Menorahs. We'll get to that. The Medrash addresses the Shulchan. We'll get to that in a minute. The uh, other Mepharshim say, who they were. No, it is, it is a Medrash. I'm sorry. It's a different Medrash. It's a Medrash in Dereyamim. Or, or in, in Malachim, and it says like this, it says that the seven Nerists of the Menorah had seven lights, that represented the seven nations that Klai had to conquer when they came into Eretz Yisrael. The ten extra represented the seventy nations of the, the whole world. And he explains over here, this uh, in Sefer Mishpah Seizav, he also quotes from different Swarms, Zerabarech, other Swarms, they explain as follows. And they say that Maish Rabbeinu, similar to what we were saying before, in the Mishkan it was very insular. They had no need and no reason to relate to all the nations of the world. The only nations that they would have to have any dealing with were the seven nations that populated Eretz Yisrael because they needed to conquer them. And the light of the Menorah, the seven lights, which represented the power of Chachma, the power of Tyra, which was ultimately the power that gave them the ability to overcome those nations. So they only had seven because they only needed to, so to speak, extinguish their lights in heaven, extinguish whatever power they had in heaven, these seven nations, whatever strength they had, their malachim in heaven, the, whatever, whatever they had was overcome by the seven lights of the Menorah. In the Beis HaMikdash, there was then the relationship that Klai Yisrael had with all the nations of the world. That had to have its own representation and its own, we had to have the ability to cast light and shed light and spread the Arah and have an effect on all the nations of the world, and therefore they added another 10 menorahs, which each one uh, is, to the total equivalent is 70. Now, here too is an interesting thing, that it's not 100% clear, there's a discussion in the, in the Mepharshim, some say like this, some say like that, but there's an, there, it seems like there's the majority hold that the menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu built and the shulchan that Moshe Rabbeinu built were also hidden. Those were never taken into captivity. And the ones that, the, the menorahs that we have the Midrashim and say that they were taken into captivity and they were seen in Rome, and you have Titus walking with the menorah, those were other menorahs, the ones, either ones that Shlema Hamalach built or ones that were built later in the second base of Mikdash. But the one original menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu built and the original Shulchan that Moshe Rabbeinu built, that remained forever. And it's in hidden, it's, it, it's, it was put away.
And possibly, again, uh, it represents the same thing. In other words, there was a certain accomplishment that Kali Yisrael accomplished in the Midbar. That closeness, that Kaddish Baruch Hu, that, that, that also that, um, that which we acquired Tyra and the wisdom of the Tyra enough to give us Eretz Yisrael and to give us the Shlita, the, the power to, to live in Eretz Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael should be our, our land, that remains forever, and the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash doesn't change that. And just from a halachic standpoint, Eretz Yisrael retains its kedusha. Eretz Yisrael doesn't lose, didn't lose its kedusha. It's kitzur It still has mitzvahs. It still has, it still has the, the all, all the things that come along with the kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. What we accomplished, the level we were able to uh, arrive at through this this activity that we had in the midbar, through this connection and through the the that we we grew in the midbar, that remained forever. That never that never left us. But what came later with the Beis Hamikdash, that uh, that special. Kedusha that we had, and a special connection that we had, and the ability we had to have an effect on the nations of the world, that will only be survived as long as the Beis HaMikdash survived. Once the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, then actually we go on Gullus, and we're at, at risk of being affected by the nations of the world, and it's a kind of the opposite. So that light doesn't remain. That light we're, we're hoping to get back at some point. So that's the symbolism of why in the Mishkan it was only seven, whereas in the Beis HaMikdash it was 70. So that's the Menorah. The last thing is um, the Shulchanah, this is also a medrash, I don't have it here, but the medrash says that the Shulchan represented Parnassah, it represented uh, plenty, uh, and in the Mishkan we did not require any Parnassah. It was, we didn't have to plant, we didn't have to seed, we didn't require that kind of seed, it was all miraculous. It was only once we came into the Eretz Yisrael and we got established in Eretz Yisrael that then we were reliant on that bracha of Parnassah coming to the world that we should be successful with our, plant, with our planting and with everything else. So that's why there also there was a requirement to have more shulchanais to represent that need for greater hashbah to come into the world. That's what the, that's what the Medrash says. So it's just, um, this is like everything else, it's just a drop in the bucket, <laughs> you know, for the, the, the depth and, and the differences between the, the first base of Mikdash and the, the Mishkan and, you know, what, what, what's, 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 what lies in there. But what we talked about is we talked about four things. We talked about the difference in the Kruvim, right, the Kruvim that were fixed on the roof of the Aron that Maishra Benu made that always faced each other and were never, could never move and those were never taken by any enemy, any, uh, uh, any of the Kharbanis, those were hidden and still are hidden. Uh, and the Kruvim that Shlema Malach built, which were very tall, and then they sometimes faced each other, faced, they faced the, the wall, or they were always at an angle to represent the nature of the, the connection of Klai Yisrael had with, um, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And those were the ones that would hug each other uh, miraculously to demonstrate the love that Hashem has for Klai Yisrael. There was also a difference that we talked about whether the Mishkan had no windows and the Beis HaMikdash had windows, because that demonstrated that the Beis HaMikdash was there to have an effect on the the greater world. We talked about that uh, Menorahs, uh, in the, there was only one in the Mishkan and Mshamimel added another 10. Likewise, the Shulchan, there was only one and Mshamimel added another 10. Seems that the Menorah of Moshe and the Mish- Shulchan of Moshe also were nignav, they were hidden and they were never taken by the enemies. And uh, the significance is either the way the Meshachachma learns that they needed more Menorahs to create more light because with the more light the prophecy can um, happened even at night. So during the first base of Mikdash, there was prophecy that was a necessity. Second base of Mikdash, they didn't have that. Um, or it represented 70 lights, an extra 70 lights, to give Klai Yisrael the ability to have a hashpah, to, to send light out 
to affect the 70 nations of the world. And again, that was a power that we lost once the Beis Amikdash was uh, destroyed. Thank you very much. Thank you.